Hello and welcome to episode three of series two of Party in China. I'm Party Parslow and I'm very grateful that you've joined us. I really am very grateful. In fact, I can't possibly thank you enough. So I won't. My new weekend gig was at Jordan English School, very near Wan Miao on Dong Lai Lu, above a uh, bookstore. In my tired and somewhat fragile state the next morning, I found it difficult to cope with the garish lobby. The bright yellow walls were covered in grotesque cartoon caricatures of characters. The screaming students were rioting happily while their parents and grandparents screamed as well, either at them to stop or maybe to riot louder, I don't know. However, a zone of silence enveloped me as I entered. Both the adults and the kids in my vicinity stopped yelling and stared silent, open-mouthed as I passed among them. The reception staff stared too. I wasn't sure if they didn't expect me or they didn't expect me, i.e. did they not know a foreign teacher was coming in or were they just freaked out by my girth and hairiness. When Trevor had told me that they needed another teacher at Jordan's, the details had been as rare as blue eyes in Beijing. All I knew was to show up at 8am on Sunday. So after getting nowhere with reception, I left the still stunned staff to sort things out among themselves while I went for a look around, finding that each classroom was named after an international city. Rome, Paris, New York, even Sydney. Although I never got to teach a class in my own hometown. The lobby had about a dozen monitors so the parents could see what was going on in each classroom. But the classrooms themselves had large pane glass windows so they could see inside anyway. I discovered a pokey little staff room up a drab corridor and was searching the cupboards for painkillers when a staff member tracked me down and escorted me to classroom Moscow. I equipped, great, I've heard Moscow is lovely this time of year but I was the only one who laughed. The word had gotten around, so now Moscow's window pane was crowded with onlookers. So crowded, I worried that the ones in front might get pushed through the glass. Inside, the three or four-year-old students waited, struck dumb with awe. I appreciated both the wonder and the quiet, but as I opened my mouth to speak, a cacophony erupted over the public address system. At the time, I thought perhaps my hangover was exaggerating the volume, but subsequent sober sessions confirmed that the class is beginning song would have been way too loud in a school for the deaf. It also went for at least five minutes and must have included instructions. The children all held their hands over their eyes, then their ears, then their mouths, as if auditioning for the three wise monkeys. Then they clapped and stood up and sat down and clapped again and this was all going on while I was standing in the middle of the classroom with nothing to do, nothing to say, unable to either lead or follow the class and all the while wallowing in a throbbing headache with a few dozen spectators pressed against the window glass. What joy! Just when I was ready to make a run for it, the song stopped. Blissful silence reigned supreme for about a minute. Then one of the onlookers detached herself from the window crowd 
and came into the classroom. Oh, you're a teacher now! I assumed she must work there, although I wouldn't put it past a parent to be that pushy. Teach what? I asked. You're a teacher now! English! Great, that's very helpful, thank you. I brought along my Australian Scary Animals slideshow, but the computer wasn't working, so resorted to Simon Says, which they didn't understand. And then Hokey Cokey, which they sort of understood, except for the whole left versus right thing, which is an important part of the song. When trying to correct one little girl's right arm in by lifting her right arm and lowering her left, she burst into the most astonishing sobs. Very long, very loud, soul-wrenching wails, followed by an almost equally long intake of breath. Trying to make the most of a bad situation, I improvised another game based on musical chairs. When the little girl was screaming, you had to freeze in place. But as soon as she breathed in, you could run around madly. The other kids cottoned onto the new game instantly, but we only had maybe half a dozen rounds before two other teachers came in to put a stop to our innocent, if insensitive, amusement. One of them tried to comfort the screamer while the other yelled at me. I think. They were talking very quickly and the screamer was still going, so I couldn't really hear what she was saying. I figured I was sacked, so went home for a much-needed nap. But Trevor then brought the message that they wanted me back on evenings during the week, as well as Sundays. Surprised at my success, I showed up as ordered and was ushered in to Rio de Janeiro, where I met eight or nine teenagers who could actually speak English. This was very exciting for me. So much so that I didn't even mind the gawking throngs. See, it was a different crowd from Sunday. They hadn't seen me before, so the gobsmack factor had been dialed back up to 11. When one little bugger put his head into my class and yelled, Quilo! at me, one of my students asked me if I knew what it meant. Yes, I answered. Foreigner. He then went on, It is one of the more polite terms for foreigner. And then he and his mate swapped several ruder terms while liquefying with laughter. Certainly discourteous, but I loved his English. Delighted to have a small advanced class which I could actually teach, I showed up again the next week and found a young American in my classroom. Turned out he'd taken some time off to visit his family at home and gallantly thanked me, saying the students had already told him how well I'd done. One of the Jordan staff then evicted me from Rio and steered me into a marauding mob of seven-year-olds in Stockholm. They were so misbehaved, all I bothered teaching them was what a clip behind the ear felt like. But with the closed-circuit cameras, I had to either work out the blind spots or make it look like an accident every time. Another class of youngsters at Jordan taught me something as well. As I approached their classroom, they all cheered and clapped and chanted, Pang Lao Shu! Pang Lao Shu! Pang Lao Shu! I knew Lao Shu was teacher, and I stopped a passing Chinese teacher to ask her what Pang meant. Fat! She told me with a big smile. They are very happy to have the fat teacher back. My contract with Sonny specified that I would under no circumstance 
teach at a different school without their written permission. I'd therefore gone to a fair bit of effort to make sure Mr Wong never heard about my extracurricular activities at Jordan's. A complete waste of time, as it turned out, since it was he who took me to meet some people from yet another private school, this one called Parade, who were looking for a foreigner to temp on the weekends for a month or two. We met some very nice people at the school, but no one who could actually hire me was there that day. However, the headmaster, Lucy, showed up unannounced at my place quite early one morning to interview me. As the flat was filthy with empty beer cans and red wine bottles everywhere, and Jean, the lovely German, was dozing on my sofa after a late night of watching Dexter, the TV show, not the doomed puppy, I went downstairs to meet her rather than invite her up to witness my crapulence. If Lucy was offended by my inhospitality, stale booze breath or dishevelled appearance, she was too polite to show it. A very small, very lively woman, she invited me to sit on her tiny scooter for the interview, but I feared that the even tinier back seat might have to be surgically removed if I tried that. Instead of trying to explain, or worse, mime, my concern, I instead invited her to sit in an electric vehicle which was often parked right outside my apartment. It looked like a stretch limo version of a golf cart with a garish red body and vinyl white seats. I assumed it was driven by a neighbour and had been told that it was used for sightseeing by the nearby Fukang Best Hotel. Yes, I know, there were two questions. If they were the best hotel, why couldn't they spell the name right? And what was there to sightsee in Diang? I invited Lucy to make herself comfortable beneath the leopard skin awning and discovered that I couldn't fit on the seats. So stood in the rain with my head under the cover and conducted a fairly satisfying chat which led me to believe that I'd soon be a regular at parade, making a very handy six or eight hundred kwai every second weekend. Easy money. Not so easy. I only worked there a couple of weekends and the earthquake stuffed up the first. On the 20th of April 2013, a major earthquake hit Sichuan. It was little more than a tremor in Diang, as the epicentre was in Lushan, about 200 kilometres south, past Chengdu. The local shaking was such that if you were, say, performing yoga on one leg or doing a tap dance number downstairs, well, you might have been knocked off balance. I was sitting down, putting my boots on, so just assumed I was having a stroke. The walls lent in and out alarmingly, and my phone fell off the coffee table and cracked the screen. Or oh, that could have happened earlier, when the alarm went off and I punched it. The earthquake happened around 8 on a Saturday morning, just as I was about to leave for the new job. So I was fully dressed, but most of the people fled their buildings straight from their beds. I got to see my female neighbours in their nightwear, mostly heavy flannel pyjamas and quilted dressing gowns, not a hint of lingerie. So like James Bond's vodka martini, I'd been shaken, but not stirred. When it appeared that the planet had calmed down, I popped over to Trevor's, he wasn't there, probably at a girlfriend's, 
and then onto the school to check that the borders were all right and see if there was any major damage. They were, and there wasn't. Most of the kids were too busy trying to call home on their mobiles to talk to me. But some of them did come over and I found myself handing out hugs to those who looked like they needed it. Normally I avoided physical contact as much as possible. I wasn't sure of the etiquette. And there had also been dark mutterings about an American the year before who'd gotten too friendly with some of his female students. But I never learnt the extent of his transgression. I assumed the parade classes would be cancelled in a natural catastrophe, but I couldn't get through to Lucy or the school, so I made the effort to go there anyway. It was a slow bus trip, with lots of minor damage being attended to, as well as huge brand new potholes to manoeuvre around. The arcade where the school was located was built after the 2008 quake, once they'd brought in stricter building codes, so it wasn't damaged at all. But worried parents weren't letting children out of their sight since terra firma had once again shown it could cause terror and should be a lot firmer. Later in the day, TV news reported that at least 60 people were dead with thousands injured and those numbers were bound to rise. They did, to nearly 12,000 injuries. I'd been sending emails and texts home, letting people know that I was okay and making light of the situation. Now I felt bad about my earthquake schmirthquake attitude, but you know, that's how I deal with problems. Joke first, cope later. I received a comforting email sent from Sunny's that evening. Dear teachers, hope you are very well this time. Yes, 7.0 level earthquake happened in Lushan, Yan City. Until now, 156 people died and many people got hurt. Also, the communication and transportation were broken off. The Chinese government already arranged enough police to the disaster area and will try our best to save more people. In the near days, surely there will be some aftershock. But it won't be stronger than 7.0 levels. Please don't be too worried and never drop out the window because it's safe in Chengdu, Mianyang, Duyang, Yibin, Chonglai, Guang'an, Leishan, and some other cities. Besides, if there's anything wrong happened, please contact us or the school teachers immediately and do not go to the disaster area. The disaster rehabilitation work will take out well organized and we all will be fine. I couldn't have drop out the window, even if I wanted to. The whole apartment was caged in security bars. I'd have been in serious shite if the stairwell had collapsed. There was no other way out. You know those red boxes on the walls that say, in case of emergency, break glass? Well, that evening I sensibly complied with my own safety instruction, in case of emergency, raise a glass and headed to Winita's to compare tales of danger and daring do. Well, we would have if anyone had done anything brave. Mainly they talked about how much worse the earthquake had been in 08. Coming up on Party in China, I appear on TV and pretend to have TB. Well, laryngitis, but that doesn't rhyme. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening. 
listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.